episode 23 of the movie brats podcast i'm carter and joining me as always is jonathan how are you doing jonathan i'm doing fine uh some big news uh from the world of movies as the 72nd Cannes film festival wrapped up last week and the palm door went to parasite directed by bong joon who uh whose last movie was oak joe which came out on netflix and might be the movie most people are familiar with. Uh, that is the only movie I've seen by him, and I think this is the first time he's won the Palme d'Or. I think this is a, a worthy achievement for uh, this director who is from Korea, I believe. South Korea, and it's the first Palme d'Or for a Korean director. I've seen a number of his movies. The Host, not the one based on the Twilight author's novel, but uh, the mutant slug movie, monster movie, which is excellent. And uh, my second favorite film, the year it came out, Mother. Uh, the, he did a movie called Mother. And he also did Snowpiercer, which I think Oh, I've seen if, some of uh, Snowpiercer. People... I haven't seen the whole thing, though. Yeah, he's um, he's a very talented director. I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I, I, I'm really excited to see his new film. And it's really cool that he won the top prize. Mm-hmm. Also at Cannes was A Hidden Life uh, by Terrence Malick, and he surprised everybody by actually showing up in person. The famously reclusive director. It was interesting to see pictures of him looking like a normal human being. I got a real kick out of that. But people said it was really good. That's one of the movies I know we're both really looking forward to coming out this year. Uh, anything else that uh, sounded like it was worth seeing that uh, came out of the festival? A Hidden Life is the number one film I'm looking forward to the rest of the year. And I kind of don't agree when, I mean, I haven't seen the film yet, of course, but some pe- uh, there were a number of critics that said it's a comeback for Malik. I'm yeah. like, he didn't go anywhere. He's always been brilliant. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, in fact, he was more present was than ever second. for the last 10 years, making more movies in a period than he has his entire career. I know. Song to Song was my second favorite film of that year. So, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of some of those I call it his trilogy of white A-list movie stars twirling in a field, whispering existential narration. But, I mean, I would rather watch those than, you know, most other films. But, yeah, I'm I'm super excited that many critics thought it was his best film since Mm -hmm. The Tree of Life. And they say that it's his most overtly political and overtly religious film. Mm -hmm. It's um, Yeah, I'm, I'm highly intrigued. The other one I'm very intrigued by is Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. I I don't want to read any think pieces or <laughs> reviews or know any more about it. than I, I know, know he came know. out I and said they have people who have seen it shouldn't reveal any spoilers, which I'm like, uh, it happens. it's based on a true story. So what is going to happen that we don't expect? But, I mean, that makes it sound well, more shot, even intriguing. He sh- he sh- they assassinated Hitler and Inglorious Bastards. That's true. So, I mean, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard the rumor. I mean, this was before it even premiered, but right. someone jokingly said that it's going to be Bruce Lee stopping the Manson murders. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past yeah, him. No, but uh, another thing is his um, Roman Polanski's current wife has uh, spoken out against the film for putting him in the film. And one, I highly doubt that she's seen the film. Mm -hmm. And 
you married a kid, you know, a guy who raped a kid. So like you have no really say in anything, you know, uh, you know, I, like, I think we both agree. We love Polanski as a director, but like you're, you you do not have any moral high ground when you marry, no. uh, you know, Roman Polanski. No, but she, uh, there really isn't any. Uh, another and movie. I think the that, lighthouse, uh, no, wait, no, wait, wait, oh, you can wait, keep going. Finish. <laughs> I was, I was just saying that he, Tarantino said he might make the film even longer. Oh, yeah, I did see that film. today, yeah. I thought, seeing but, uh, that, I thought maybe it was going to include more Margot Robbie scenes because a bit of backlash, at least from a New York Times reporter, was that there wasn't enough Margot Robbie as, uh, God damn it, what's her name? Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate, yes. Well, I don't need... I don't even know if the person was criticizing that she wasn't in the film enough. I think she was saying that she didn't have enough dialogue. And well, yeah. like, well, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> you can have a great performance. It doesn't have a lot of dialogue. I mean, I mean, like, you like, can John, have a great John performance and your character about. doesn't even have a name. So, I mean, yeah, especially the man if with no I, name. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I haven't seen it, so I can't yeah. judge. But that was my first thought that he might yeah. be sort of answering the critics by putting a little bit more Margot Robbie into the movie. But uh, you were saying The Lighthouse, the second feature film by the director of The Witch. Uh, I'm very excited. Black and white horror film starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. They say that it's like career best performances um, or, you know, one of Dafoe's best. And they say it's maybe Pattinson. Yeah. And um, it's old school, like full frame Mm. shot on film old school film techniques uh they say it's like a murnau film nosferatu yeah. look to it and uh With i don't know anything about the period plot, really. dialogue very much like the witch felt like it was like a document from history apparently this one is going to feel very much the same way uh psychological horror with really just the two actors I and mean, it sounds like it's going to be incredible so i'm really excited about right. that one and I think we're both excited for Almodovar's new film, Pain and Glory, which people say is kind of an understated, one of his m- more adult films. And, and Antonio Banderas won Best Actor at Cannes. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, cool to see. So maybe he'll uh, make a comeback into our lives, because I feel like he hadn't been in a lot of good movies for a long time, Antonio Banderas. So it's good to see him in an Almodovar movie again, because that's sort of where he got to start. Yeah. Not just doing Puss in Boots. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But moving on to something a little more mainstream. The title of Christopher Nolan's next movie has been announced. Uh, it is going to be called Tenet, which I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. It's not tenant as if as in someone who occupies a building. Tenet as in, <laughs> I don't even know, a law or something like that? Like, <laughs> Well, the, there's a Roman Plansky film called The Tenet the that Tenet, he starred exactly. in. And- yeah. But yeah, but, this movie's uh, yeah. gonna star uh, John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Elizabeth Debicki, and his old war horse Michael Caine. It would not be a Christopher Nolan movie if Michael Caine was not in it. Although he's not in Dunkirk, which was a missed opportunity because he definitely could have been in one role in Dunkirk. It's sort of a pity he wasn't in that. But it's gonna be an action like spy a- movie, and we'll shoot in seven countries apparently, which is ridiculous. It's gonna. <laughs> A hell of a production, it seems, and it's going to come out next July, July 17th, 2020, is the release date. So any Christopher Nolan movie, I'm going to be aboard, and this seems like it's going to be his Bond movie, which he's expressed a lot of admiration for the series and expressed interest in directing a Bond movie at some point. Um, so hopefully this uh, tops what any Bond movie could possibly be. A lot of people hate on Christopher Nolan, but I still 
think he's one of the best big budget directors working in Hollywood today. I'll say that. Yeah, but I do have a thing where I say if you have a Christopher Nolan film in your top 10 of all time, you haven't seen enough movies. Like if you think Inception or The Dark Knight's the best movie ever made, like get a life. I, I mean, mean, I think he's very talented, but uh, I do think – yeah, well, well, I think that he is one of the very – small handful of people that could basically go to a studio and go, give me $150 million. I'm going to make a movie. What is it about? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Here's a bag of money. Like basically Spielberg, JJ Abrams, Robert Zemeckis, even though Zemeckis has done like what? Seven bombs in a row, maybe. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, but, but I would say like of his age group, like I think of putting like David Fincher, Darren Aronofsky, Guillermo del Toro, uh, I think he's one of the ones that can actually go and make, you know, a big giant non-sequel, yes. non-franchise based, you know, original material. He's one of the very few that could basically make a big budget film. So yeah, I I I, I, re- I respect him for that. Even that, though, and his movies generally like treat his, his audience films. as mature, active viewers. He doesn't, you know, spoon feed them or treat them like they're idiots, which I admire about Christopher Nolan. Even though a lot of times right. his movies don't necessarily make sense. <laughs> but I, that's not what no. you can see a Christopher Nolan movie for. I was actually uh I'm actually in the weird like minority. Like I think his best film is The Prestige. I think that's I a really good movie underrated. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh what movies are Insomnia are is really fantastic too, which is the sort of I don't think I, I, I don't think um, – I think Inception's visually stunning no, and insomnia. it's just an incredible technical – No, I'm, but I'm saying Inse- – oh, okay. uh, but I'm saying Interstellar <laughs> is not a good movie, I don't think. It's beautifully it's made, but it's – It's a movie that has not held up to rewatches. The first time I saw it in IMAX, I was absolutely floored by it. But upon seeing it on a smaller TV with worse sound, it really did not hold up at all. Uh, he's a, he makes movies yeah. who really well, insomnia- see in theaters. Yeah, well, Insomnia is a movie. I saw the original first, Star Stellan uh, okay. Skarsgård. Yeah, I had never and seen And I saw that the. One. Yeah, it, it's one of those films where I go Insomnia, uh, the Christopher Nolan one. It's very well made, very well acted. Why does it exist? It's the same thing I did with Let Me In, the Let the Right One In remake. I'm like, yeah. this is a very good film in many ways, but I I can't get over the fact that there's no reason for this movie. It to exists exist. for someone like me who's never seen the original. <laughs> And was yeah, exposed first but, to an English language version. <laughs> right. But it's still like a, you know, as far as pointless American remakes go, it's one of the best. It's one of the, exactly. And you can say that's same with The Departed and stuff like that, I think, is and, worthwhile. And just because it's a remake it's probably, doesn't mean it's bad. And like it's one of like three good Al Pacino performances in like 30 years. <laughs> yes. If only for that, it's worth seeing. Yeah. That and Heat. And yeah. sent to the woman is sort of where he starts playing himself over and over again. And it's the rare exception yeah. after that where he actually delivers a, a naturalistic compelling performance and not just as over the top. Let's let's yeah, well let's see what the Irishman's gonna bring out in yes. him. Uh de aged and everything. But what two <laughs> movies are we gonna review? We are gonna start off with Book Smart, which just came out this past weekend, uh, and is Olivia Wilde's directorial debut. Uh, it is about two girls who graduate from high school at the top of their class and decide to spend their last night before graduation trying to catch up on all the fun they missed out on during their four years of high school. 
Uh, it stars Caitlin Deaver, who's been in a lot of TV shows and was in Short Term 12, but I haven't really seen her in anything else besides that. Uh, Beanie Feldstein, who was in Lady Bird uh, last year. Lisa Kudrow from Friends, Will Forte, and Jason Sudeikis, who is uh, Olivia Wilde's husband. Uh, it premiered at South by Southwest on March 10th and uh, opened wide this past uh, Friday on May 24th. Uh, Metacritic score of 85, Rotten Tomatoes score of 97%, so very universally loved, uh, but has sort of... It is very much underperformed at the box office this past weekend and has sort of brought fire on Annapurna, who produced it, for sort of failing to market it and having a sort of bad distribution strategy which is a different story from how good the movie actually is. And I agree generally with the critics. I thought it was really good and sounded like it was going to be a very cliche high school movie, and I went in sort of expecting it to hit all the tropes. And it sort of was a cliche high school movie, but it had moments of real originality. And the two lead performances were really, really fantastic. And uh, the actors really made the characters in their own. And in general... It was an above-average high school comedy. I'll say that much. I liked it. I mean, what were your thoughts about it? I thought it was utterly delightful. I thought it was one of the <laughs> best comedies, especially like big Hollywood mainstream comedies yes. in a long time. And another thing I want to point out about it is that, especially for a first-time director, this is a really cinematic like this is a film yes. this is really well shot it has an energy to it it's has great use of soundtrack there are a lot of comedies that are very funny and well acted and clever that have come out this century mainstream studio comedies but like judd apatow's movies generally they're not visually that interesting they're basically no. adam mckay's yes. films they're basically like put a camera and have people yes you know rattle off dialogue and he'll say things adam mckay will have a megaphone and like just shout out dialogue yes. but you feel like book smart is a very tightly scripted constructed comedy it feels like a real film and i thought Done it with was a lot of style with some real cinematic sequences interspersed throughout it and like you said, really good right. use of soundtrack, especially for a first yeah. It just has director. a, it just has a real pulsating uh, energy to it. It just it never drags. It's one of those movies you're just sucked right in. And like you said, the two lead performances, they're just um, you know they're, they're both great, but they have amazing chemistry too. Yes. They're just so perfect. They're a great comedy team. And I also think that there's many funny supporting uh, performances. Uh, Billy Lord is very funny as the kind of <laughs> I thought her character was a little uh, bit over the top and was one of the characters yeah. in it that I... Well, that it sort of leads to my whole gripe with the whole movie is it did not feel realistic whatsoever. And, like, I, the super bad is the sort of comp for the movie, and that feels like a very realistic high school movie. But this one is a problem that I have with a lot of representations of high school and, like, 21st century television and cinema, is that high school just does not look like any sort of high school I've ever seen before. And maybe it's a California thing, but, like, they were kids practicing fencing in the background in one scene. And I've never seen a high schooler with fencing equipment of any kind. And just to see that happening in the background of a lunch period, I thought was so strange. And just every character had, like, a mansion, and they were... I don't know. Maybe it's, it's a California, California thing. 
But it was one of my gripes with the movie that it just did not feel real whatsoever. The performances of the two lead actresses did feel very real. But, I mean, just... I don't know. Everything that the high school was... <laughs> everything they were doing just did not seem like behavior of normal 18-year-old people. Maybe 18-year-olds now behave like 40-year-olds, but uh, they certainly did not when I was 18. Well, let's say this. I'll be devil's advocate. Do people in Preston Sturges and Billy Wilder film talk like real people? No, no, no. It's no, heightened. No, no. It's, it's cinema. But I, I don't know. I went in expecting a female super bad. And one of the things I like about Superbad is how different from most high school movies it feels and that it's very realistic. And this one felt very much like Clueless, which is a really good movie, but just felt like a heightened version of the high school experience, which didn't necessarily have bearing in reality. And that could take away from the message of the lead characters, which is supposed to be something a lot of people can relate to. And the experiences and the characters just were not realistic. Well, maybe we can say that since we're men, we related and feel like Superbad's more realistic, and because we've never been teenage well, girls, no, maybe we can't It's because they, don't have, they on... don't have a party on a yacht where people are serving stuff, and there's nobody there, but this kid spent uh, millions of dollars on a yacht party, no one goes up. There's just a lot of stuff in the movie that, it has nothing to do with sex, it's just like, maybe it is California, and we can say it's California, everything's different. But, like, literally everyone lives in a mansion. And it's one of those things. Have you ever seen Orange County with Colin Hanks It's in Jack Black? It's a movie I watched a lot when I was a kid. It's really, really funny. No. But there's a thing in the movie where, like, these stupid people end up going to Yale. And every person that Beanie Feldstein's character asks in the movie is going to Yale, Georgetown, Stanford. And there are people who supposedly didn't care about school during high school. And I'm like, this is not real. People don't just get into Georgetown. <laughs> well, I mean, look and it at was the a public school. Scandal. It was a public school. I could understand if it was like a private school, but well, let me just quote the tagline from the last house on the left. Keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. <laughs> but I mean, th- but those are minor. No, they are. And the it, enjoyment of the film. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. This is total nitpicking because I did like it. And when I saw those cliched things, I wanted to hate the movie. But uh, the performances and Olivia Wilde's really going for it. There are a couple scenes where I thought she was trying a little bit too hard to impose her own sort of stylistic vision onto the movie. And it didn't necessarily need it. But sometimes it really, really was fantastic. There's a scene where she's swimming underneath the water uh, at a pool during a party. And like soundtrack for it's perfect. And uh, it's really well put together and... That makes it seem, I mean, Olivia Wilde, she showed real promise in certain scenes, but some scenes I felt like she was trying a little bit hard, and I don't know, maybe that's a harsh judgment. Well, you could also say that, I mean, I feel like there are parts in the movie that are heightened, but being that age, you, things are heightened. Like, I remember in high school walking to, like, blasting music in my head and the raging hormones and, you know, (laughs) looking after guys and girls, you know, it's like, that's like, that's what's in their head. Like, it is this kind of over the top, you know, so I do think that is, you know, even if it comes off as kind of over the top or heightened, it's, I think. People, and this is real nitpicking for a movie that I really, really liked and think is worth seeing and think that people should see. And left me feeling really good walking out of it in a way that most movies do not. 
Um, so I really couldn't recommend the movie anymore. I just had some nitpicks, and it's more my issue with high school movies in general. And this one is just an example of it. Well, I will say that these aren't technically high school films, but to me, two of the most brutally realistic looks at grade school are Todd Solon's Welcome to the Dollhouse and last year's Eighth Grade. Those, yes. I think, are super, super realistic. Eighth Grade, uh, Almost yes. like brutally <laughs> so. Really brutally yeah. realistic. And was something well, um, like I wish there were more depictions of, you know, grade school like Eighth Grade and Booksmart approached it at times, especially with the lead performances. And Caitlin Deaver, I had never really seen her in anything before, except for Short Term 12, which came out some time ago. And I was really blown away by her as uh, one of the friends who is sort of, uh, <laughs> she's come out as a lesbian two years ago, but has not done anything to act on uh, her sexuality and sort of, uh, has inner conflicts with that throughout the movie. And I thought she did a really, really fantastic job uh, expressing that. Because, you know, it's not always easy to uh, express what someone's thinking in a movie, which is not necessarily good at, uh, you know, getting interiority across to the audience. But I thought she was really fantastic in that. And Beanie Feldstein, Jonah Hill's sister, which is one of the other super bad comparisons that, that I don't necessarily think should be applied to this movie. They feel really different, but that's just one of those things that just comes up uh, sort of naturally because it's about two friends who go separate ways after the high school and, you know, it's the end of their high school career. But, uh, yeah, I thought Caitlin Dever was fantastic, and I'm very excited to see what she does in the future. I don't know what I would say this is the best studio comedy since. I mean, I would say, by, you know, like there's no comparison this, so far this year. I mean, I liked Longshot, but this is, yeah. I thought, quite a bit better. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 I highly recommend it. And go see it in the theater. Like I yes. said, it's cinematic. It really, it's a great crowd pleaser. Comedies are better with an audience. My audience was really laughing at it. You know, oh, uh, so it didn't my... have a huge audience. Another as you were going to say, crowd-pleasing movie. Uh, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum, uh, which is uh, the third installment of the John Wick series. Uh, it picks up right after the end of John Wick Chapter 2 with ex-hitman John Wick finding himself on the run from loads of assassins after a $14 million contract is put on his head. It is directed by Chad Stahelski, who previously directed John Wick in John Wick 2. Starring Keanu Reeves, Halle Berry, Lawrence Fishburne, and Mark DeCascos, who I knew from uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf. Uh, Premiered May 9th, 2019 in New York. Released wide May 17th. Metacritic score of 73. Ron Tomatoes score of 89. Uh, How do you think it stacks up to the previous two movies in the John Wick series? I need to go back and watch the first one because I remember not being so crazy about the first one. I felt like it was kind of generic action film, well staged and choreographed. But I think the sequels have gotten more like operatically absurd, yes. and I I really enjoyed them. Um, I I think that the the new one, the first twenty minutes are the best uh, is the best uh, part of the film. It's. Uh, uh, I don't know if you noticed uh, the action star in Times Square on one of the billboards. Did you notice? Uh, Buster Keaton. Oh, real? Oh, I think, At, yeah. 
Yeah, I, they're like a Buster Keaton film, but with more face stabbing. There's just this, you know, wit to it. I, I like how the film is very straight faced and it takes itself, you know, it, it's like there's intrigue and there's this, you know, assassins, you know, you know, the school of assassins. But the it's high all table. just ludicrous. I mean, yeah. I mean, and it acknowledges it, its absurdity, which is one of the real strengths exactly. of the franchise. Right. It knows it's cheese and but but it it's not just like winking at the camera like it's there's no weight to it mm. uh but i do like the tone it sets of being this gritty action crime thriller but it knows it's absurd and that it's operatically violent and that it's way too much yes. um i would say that my one criticism of the film uh and kind of the series in general is that john wick is such a flawless killing machine and that the films are so slick that there are times where they become a little bit monotonous and you know there's like a scene where the dogs are attacking and they're shooting people and it goes on for like 15 minutes and they kill like you know maybe close to 80 people and like you're like okay this is like we get the idea we see Um, maybe 25 times a dog bite a man's crotch yeah, I mean, like John Woo has films that have incredible body counts, but he really stages them in a really brilliant way. And John Wick does a good job, but there there can be kind of a thudding monotonous monotony to the action. But overall, the action scenes are incredibly yes. choreographed, and they're very clever. And and like they're so over the top. It's it's a funny. They're funny movies. Mm-hmm. This one was extremely violent, though. I think this one was the most violent out of the series. But a lot of the action sequences in it take place in extended takes that go on for, like, seemingly, like, a minute at a time, which is a real contrast to what we saw in the Bourne movies in the last decade, where the fight scenes were staged in a way to make it feel like you, the viewer, were in the fight and experiencing the craziness of it. And with that style, you didn't really get to see the fight choreography in the balletic performances of the stuntmen. And more than anything, these movies are like celebrations of stuntmen and the work stunt people do. Uh, the director, Stad- Chad Stahelski, was a Keanu Reeves stunt double during the Matrix series and I think a few other movies during his career. And in it, Keanu apparently uh, performs like 95% of his own stunts. Uh, and it really shows. And even Halle Berry... Seemed like she was doing her own stunts, and that really came across in the movie because everyone was coming at her really slowly, and it was like, oh, this is sort of a Halle Berry-based fight scene, which I thought was a little bit funny. Uh, how old does Keanu Reeves turn this September? I don't guess. know. I know it's going to be something like 52. 55. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw an interview with him recently on television. It was like Bill and Ted era, and he looks like he's sixteen, but he's like twenty-seven. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he has aged really well. Yeah, I mean, but and Ke- Keanu Reeves is in the group with Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. and Bruce Willis and Tom Cruise. That when they're cast well, they can be very good. Yeah. It's just that they do way way too many bad movies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Keanu Reeves was in a horrible stretch after The Matrix. He was doing stuff like The Lake House, and Hollywood did not know what to do with Keanu Reeves, and John Wick is the perfect place for him, and it's it's good that he's finally arrived at this place in his career. Because the John Wick series makes really good use of how Keanu Reeves is not the most naturalistic of actors, and the fact that everyone 
seems to know that they're in a John Wick style movie and the movie makes Keanu Reeves performance style fit very well with everyone else. And then otherwise when he could feel like the odd man out and he's like, what is this guy? He seems totally different on a totally different wavelength than like every other actor in the movie. It seems like everyone in John Wick is put around him to sort of reflect his, uh, his style. Like especially Mark uh, DeCascos who plays like the main hitman in this like, is really enjoying being in a John Wick movie. And this series makes really good use of that. Like Fast and the Furious is a similar sort of tone, but just it is so ridiculously over the top that its absurdity reaches points where it just like totally is unwatchable, at least for me. But John Wick really toes that line very, very well. And as some of the best choreographed fight scenes you'll find uh, in like English language cinema, <laughs> you'll have to see like, uh, you know, like Asian action movies to get the sort of stuff you see in John Wick. Uh, well, I mean, one of my friends said that the third John Wick film, it's like the Raid films. Have you seen those yes, movies? Yes, It sort of felt like the Raid, especially yeah, the yeah. second version where everything is, like, hyped up and neon-tilted, whereas the first one is much more, like, gritty. And uh, they feel like almost like from a different series, uh, the Raid 1 and the Raid 2, to be honest. Well, I, I mean, like I said, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the film. Uh, I saw it in IMAX, which was a lot of fun. But um, it does get to the point, and I don't want to give away the ending, but it's getting to the point where he's like Jason from Friday the 13th. Like, oh, he can't yeah. die. Yes. Like, it's like, how is he still alive? You know, oh, it's yeah. like he's being shot at by, like, people with bulletproof vests with giant machine guns. And it's like, oh, it's like the problem but, with know, Superman like, as a character. Where he has no weaknesses, so it's really not very interesting. But also something I, I want to touch on before we stop talking about it is uh, throughout the series, they've sort of leaned into the assassin mythology more and more as the series has gone on. And while in a lot of reviews I've seen people say that's one of the positives of the series, the mythology they've built up, I really could do it without the mythology. And in any sort of like time they took out to tell a story that wasn't just action, I was totally bored by. And I'm totally mystified by what the mythology actually is. So, And it seems like it's only going to get more. So maybe uh, the more they lean into that, the less I'm going to like this John Wick series. What do you think about like this assassin high table mythology that seems like it's becoming increasingly important in the John Wick franchise? It's basically a MacGuffin. It's a clothesline to hang action set pieces yeah. on. It's not important, you know. It's it, we're not. Well, supposed it's not to take supposed, it. but it seems like they're taking it a little more seriously than I'd like them to. Well, it's like they have to have some. Well, I mean, there's a. Did you ever see the movie Shoot 'Em Up? Yes. Yeah. With Clive yeah. yeah, like that makes no attempt to like that is just like we're doing eighty minutes of like Looney Tunes, like like act. And I really like that movie, oh. but um, yeah, there's I mean, a weird MacGuffin yeah, about John a baby who has cybernetic genetic weird stuff. You're right. That is a movie that makes no attempt at really having a plot. It's the baby he's protecting the whole time, right? That's like a clone or something like that of the president. I, I, I. Don't remember any of this. I just remember <laughs> the action scenes. Like, are we thinking of this, the, the Clive Owen and Paul Giamatti? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking to. Do you not remember the fact he's carrying a baby for most of the movie? Yeah, but I have no, no memory of any of that plot. I just remember him, like, killing someone with a carrot and that's him jumping out Paul of That's the reason Paul Giamatti wants to get him, is the baby is, like, a clone of the president or something like that. <laughs> it just shows you how little, well, of little importance it actually is, that you can't even remember that. 
No, I mean, I do think that, um, you know, John Wick is one of the best modern action uh, franchises. I mean, I, I would rather, I mean, I shouldn't say I would like it to, I'd rather see it than the comic book movies or Fast and Furious because I don't, I've never actually seen any of the Fast and Furious films. I have like no interest. Buddy, um, you're missing but, out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some of them are pretty good. <laughs> I just, I don't understand why it's exciting to see like CGI cars. Like that doesn't like it's like <laughs> no, and that's it's it's like, gotten to the point where it's just too ridiculous. But Fast Five is actually pretty good. A lot of the cars they're using in that are not CGI. That is the best of the series. And if you want to watch one, Fast Five is one to watch. It's actually really good. Not Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Tokyo Drift is not as bad as you may think. It's actually okay. Well, John Singleton directed the first sequel. Yes, Too Fast, Too Furious. But. Yeah, that's one of the best dumb movie titles. The, the other one I really love is um, Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Yes. And what was it? There's like first, it's like Rambo, two, First Blood, Rambo 2 or something like that. You know, it's just complicated with numbers. <laughs> well, but, the first um, Rambo is but, First Blood. Uh, I think the second is Rambo First Blood 2. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it just, uh, but but John Wick Chapter 3 uh, is... Very entertaining. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's you know as far as big budget action franchises go that come out these days, it's like one of the best. Yes, it's good to see studios putting money into something like this. That's uh, that's worth watching, and I'm probably gonna watch multiple times. It, Although I'm definitely gonna fast forward through a lot of the uh, the <laughs> scenes with uh, uh, like Angelica Houston and stuff like that, which I really had very little interest in. I, I mean, I feel like there's um, real heart and passion put into these films. They're not just churned out. They, 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 they know what the audience wants and they deliver. And there's real craft involved. It's not just all, you know, there's definitely computer effects in the film, but a lot of it feels choreographed and real stunts. And there's real care put into the film. So I admire that. With both films, the one thing I can say you can compare Book Smart and John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum is that they both are sincere films like yes. they, they they're, they're both put, made with passion and like do you feel like the directors really care about what they're putting on screen most certainly and i recommend both very highly both are definitely worth seeing and deserve to be seen and deserve to make more money than they have made especially book smart which has really struggled And talking about John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum, we will stay on the theme of action films and reveal our much-anticipated top five action films of all time. And we will start by giving the honors to Jonathan to reveal his movie number five, the fifth greatest action film of all time, according to Jonathan Winchell, is... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first... Indiana Jones film. Now, I feel like there's three camps of Spielberg. Um, there are people, the way people feel about Spielberg, there are people that are like, oh my gosh, Spielberg's the greatest living director. And then there's people that are like, oh, Spielberg, he's just a you know popular filmmaker and he makes junk for the masses. And then there's people like me that think, yeah, he makes stuff for the masses, but he's actually made many, many really good, interesting films, and he actually is a master filmmaker. He's done a number of bad movies, but for me, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of his best films. It's just pure entertainment. It's yes. so lovingly made. It, it's Harrison Ford at his best. 
it's just it's one of those old school films that is you know it's pg but it has some edge to it it you know it's not like nearly as graphically violent as john wick but you know the propeller scene where the guy gets you know and the melting face uh the the melting nazi yeah i just think it's you know one i love the old school movie serial uh aspect to it yeah it's just pure great great popcorn entertainment it's one of the best films of the 80s and stay on something a film from the same series my fifth best action film of all time is Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, <laughs> which may surprise the some best people, sequel. but I it certainly isn't better from a cinematic point of view and from an impact on movie history as Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is my Star Wars, the Indiana Jones series, as important to me as Star Wars has for a lot of people. I enjoy Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade more than Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think Raiders of the Lost Ark is a better movie, but I think the more, in some ways, the more Steven Spielberg got comfortable with the Indiana Jones character, I think he allowed him, I think he understood him more as the series went on. I think Last Crusade is the best version of Indiana Jones. It has some of the best action sequences in, uh, in the whole series. Raiders of the Lost Ark is fantastic and just missed the list, but for me, The Last Crusade is a better movie. And this is my favorite Spielberg. The, like, adventure, fun, blockbuster Spielberg is my favorite Spielberg. Jurassic Park, stuff like that, Jaws, Indiana Jones. uh, I mean, that comes with its downsides, obviously, stuff like Ready Player One, which was (laughs) one of the least interesting, most generic movies you and the fourth indiana jones well yeah which i like more than most people but it's definitely the worst installment of the series but last crusade my fifth best action film of all time well i i I have a friend who also thinks that um you know i think he would say the raiders is the best in the series but he personally likes uh the last crusade the best um how do you feel about temple of doom uh, I love the opening, the sort of Busby Berkeley homage that they have in the Japanese nightclub, I think is fantastic. Uh, I find the female character who actually, I can't remember the name of the actress, but ended up actually marrying Steven Spielberg. I find her character infuriating and just hate the whole time she's in it. Just is like screaming about everything. Uh, it has sort of a pop- problematic white savior narrative, which is comes with the territory and the sort of stuff that Indiana Jones is based on, like the serials of the uh, the 20s and 30s, which obviously were really tinted with colonialism. But I think the second is probably the most problematic from a current perspective. And I really enjoy it, but it is certainly not up to the standard of The Last Crusade or Raiders of the Lost Ark. And do we need a fifth one with Harrison Ford? Or definitely do we need a reboot? Can we just let it, like to stop like it doesn't like do we need these geriatric action they call it geriatric you know geri action yeah. you know or whatever they say like the it's just it's movies. like yeah like there's going to be a new rambo film this year and he's like 72 or something <laughs> yes i mean i still want to see it I can't, I can't lie but yeah. um but uh i don't know i mean number... I, indiana jones is just such a great character for me that even if the next one is really bad. I'm still going to enjoy watching it just because I love Indiana Jones so much, but it's not going to be good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, um, my number four pick is uh, John Woo's, I think, the best film he ever did, The Killer from 1989. Uh, His movies are, I call a ballet of bullets and blood. They're just, you know, I use the word operatic to describe John Wick. uh, And The Killer is just so gorgeous and majestic and you know, it, it, you know, it's very violent and graphic. You know, you have body counts, you know, in the hundreds, but it's just so incredibly choreographed. And, you know, this is all pre-CGI. So you have squibs and the explosions as everything from John Woo. It has the doves flying in the air. Um, yeah, the killer's just a masterful action film. And I remember one critic was saying that when you see John Woo's films, especially his Hong Kong films, they make most American action films look like they're in a coma. I mean, they, it just like pushes them, you know, to the curb. I mean, there's like no comparison. Like to me, John Woo's best Hong Kong films, like don't deserve to like kiss the feet of, you know, most of like Stallone and Schwarzenegger and, you know, oh, those yeah. movies. So ha- what if John Woo's uh, Hong Kong films have you seen? The only one of those I've seen is hard boiled, uh, which has an incredible, also great. like, seven-minute continuous action sequence, which is, like, goes different floors, and there's elevators opening, and guys getting ripped with shotguns. Yes, it's 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 really, really good. Parts of it are very slow, but the action sequences in it is, like, are slow-mo and just expertly choreographed. Uh, he made in Hollywood Face-Off, which is an outrageous movie, and Mission Impossible 2, which is easily the worst Mission Impossible movie. So he didn't quite fare as well in Hollywood as he did in Hong Kong, but I haven't seen The Killer. Uh, I hear really good things about it. Uh, I know it's got Chow Yun-Fat, who's um, also in should... Hard Boiled. Right, well, um, John Woo is remaking that movie, The Killer, his own movie starring Lupita Nyong'o, which oh. I'm very intrigued by. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it depresses me so much that we have like eight comic book films a year. And then his last film, Manhunt, went straight to Netflix. Like that bothers me. Like John Woo is arguably the greatest living action director, like top three. And it's like yeah. his movie goes to Netflix. You know, even if it might not have been the best movie, I didn't see it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But uh, another one I just want to recommend, this is not in the top five, but one of the most great movie experiences I had was watching one of his early martial arts movies called Last Hurrah for Chivalry. Huh. I watched it on Hulu like a few years ago, and it was like two in the morning. I, mean, I was totally awake, but it is just one of the best. And I don't know martial arts films. Like I've maybe seen a dozen in my life, but Last Hurrah for Chivalry is awesome. And it's coming out on Blu-ray uh, very soon. So yeah. um, go back and watch John Woo's um uh, uh, foreign language films you know if you've seen face off and like it, it you know it's like that but even more awesome i love face off though mm. it's it's great nuts you know <laughs> great gr- nuts gr- nicholas cage nicholas cage at the absolute peak of his game in face off coming off of snake eyes right. with brian de palma and about to do con air it is really peak yeah <laughs> right right after winning his oscar yes for leaving las vegas and then he just felt like he could do just whatever the hell he wanted which is good for right. the world's population in general. Uh, coming yeah. in at number four on my list of the top five action films of all time is also from a Hollywood franchise that is much beloved. Skyfall from 2012, uh, the James Bond effort by Sam Mendes, who's most known for American Beauty before Skyfall. 
and delivers just an unbelievably beautiful action movie with the help of Roger Deakins, uh, who's mostly known for uh, being the cinematographer for Coen Brothers movies. There are parts of Skyfall that stand up to, like, almost any other movie from this century in terms of just, like, breathtaking cinematic beauty, which is really rare to see in a big Hollywood franchise, especially one like James Bond. Skyfall, I think, is clear in a way the best James Bond movie. Uh, Definitely the best one with Daniel Craig, although he's had some good ones, like Casino Royale I like a lot. Javier Bardem does sort of a light version of his No Country for Old Men character, but still ends up being one of the better James Bond villains uh, in recent memory. We got some iconic ones with uh, uh, the Sean Connery days and... uh, and Man with the Golden Gun definitely is one of the top James Bond villains. But Javier Bardem uh, fits in with the James Bond uh, world in a way that was really, really fantastic. Skyfall came out in 2012. Uh, watched it recently. Still holds up. Definitely the best James Bond movie. And it was on hard thinking because I, I didn't want to include a lot of franchise movies. But Skyfall, I rewatched it last week. It's just fantastic. Uh, what do you think about this, especially in terms of the James Bond franchise in general? Well, I have to say I'm not anywhere close to a James Bond expert. The only films I've seen in the series are the first one, Dr. No, the third one, Goldfinger, and all the Daniel Craig films. Those are the only ones I've seen. Having said that, Skyfall is, I think, the best of the Daniel Craig ones. It's excellent. It's, uh, it is on my list of, like... I can point to that and go, they can do big budget franchise films in Hollywood and it can be a great work of art. It's brilliantly constructed and it's, you know, like you said, Roger Deakins, beautifully shot. Yeah, it's just, it it manages to be serious and sincere, but be really fun. Like some of the James Bond movies are campy, uh, but it manages to have a gritty realism to it. But more, there's like, a weight I really to like it that Royale, doesn't exist but... in almost any other James Bond movie, where you feel like it's really approaching something like very timeless and serious, where it's like James Bond as a representation of the British Empire and everything like that. And in some words, in some ways, it's very on the nose about that. There's one scene where uh, James Bond is with his new quartermaster Ben Whishaw, and they're discussing the symbolic uh, interpretations of a JMW Turner painting. Which felt a little bit like self-referential in a way that was a little bit on the nose, but also very in keeping with, uh, I don't know, sort of on the noseness of the James Bond franchise. But that was a very uh, sort of heightened reference for uh, a James Bond movie. But, I mean, it aspires to a greatness that you do not normally see in a standard Hollywood franchise. And that goes with Sam Mendes directing it. And he felt like such a far out of left field choice at the time. And it really paid off in such a great way when he actually delivered a really fantastic movie. And I, it just felt like a really big thing when um, it came out. It became the highest grossing movie in Britain uh, when it came out. And I don't think that that's been eclipsed since then. Um, I don't um, know. This felt I don't like think the Spectre most. is nearly as good. No, it's not. It's really, really bad. Yeah. It's a movie I had a lot of expectations for, but I was, I was bored by it when I was watching. And I was like, literally, like, when is this movie going to end? which is not what you should expect from a James Bond movie. What I said about it is that it's so slick 
that there's no edge to it. There's no, there's no grit to it. It's the Casino Royale and Skyfall, even though they're beautifully shot and there's definitely slickness to it. There's a weight, like you said, a weight to it, but Spectre just felt like this, you know, you know, this jewel that you're looking at and you admire the craft. It's, it's like something shot you and, see you know, in an art museum that you can't touch and it's beautiful to look at, but there's really not a lot to it and there's no warmth to it at all. Right. But uh, Skyfall is like high on my list of like, I, like I said, I point to it. Um, you know, this is a great example of how a studio can do a big franchise movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's my number three pick. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, now this is the pinnacle of, you know, that a big studio film can be a great work of art. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, which I think is a masterpiece. I think it's one of the, you know, like, like, well, obviously five greatest action films ever made. Uh, I just, I, it's the only film I've ever seen opening night. And then I walked out afterwards and bought a ticket and saw it right afterwards. <laughs> I've saw it five times in theaters. I've only seen two films three times in theaters. I saw that five times. Um, I'm not saying it's the greatest film ever made, but it might legitimately be the most awesome film ever made. And it's you my number it one I, action movie of all time, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just... Directed by George I, I Miller, released Oswald. in 2015. A movie I had very low expectations for when I saw it. Because like, I was like, Mad Max, it hadn't had a movie in 30 years. I didn't, re- I hadn't really read a lot of the reports from the production, which after the movie came out have become, become like legendary. It like took like a year and a half. And it was something you always heard was like in development hell, but I really didn't expect it to actually come out until I saw it. And I, I had low expectations for it and was totally blown away by what it ended up being. Which is, I mean, the low expectations paid off so immensely in just how much I was blown away by it. Um, it's outstanding. The whole movie is like one continuous action scene. It's totally bonkers. There are like details in it that are just like George Miller must be out of his fucking mind for like stuff to actually be in this movie. Uh, during the production, apparently Tom Hardy and Charlie Theron thought it was going to be a total disaster. And they had no idea what it was actually going to be like when it ended up coming out. And were very pleasantly surprised by the finished product. Um, It cleaned up at the Oscars that year. I actually had a glimmer of hope that it was going to win Best Picture. That hope was dashed. uh, What did Spotlight win that year? I can't even remember. Yeah, but the thing I was most disappointed is that it didn't didn't win Best Director. The Revenant is beautifully shot, but it... Yeah, but um, I, I, I loved uh, – I remember an interview with Steven Soderbergh where he said that, like, he like he doesn't understand how people didn't die making this movie. Like, oh he, God, he was yeah. so in awe, and he's, like, almost scared because, I mean, it's this – you know, I love the fact that George Miller, you know, 30 years since the previous one, he was in his late 60s when he directed it. The cinematographer Coming in his of, early uh, 70s. Happy Feet. Yeah, yeah, he'd done the Babe and Happy Feet films, and it's just insane that they shot it for about seven months in the African desert, real cars, mm-hmm. real stunts. There's yes. definitely CGI in there, but I heard there's like 80% of it was done practically. They hired and like even hundreds of is... Cirque du Soleil performers to do the aerial stunts in the movie. It's like a production yeah. that I'm... is unlike any other you could possibly imagine. They did it all in the African desert. 
they had a cinematographer come out of retirement to do the thing. It's just yeah. <laughs> everything I mean, about just, it suggests um, it should have lost everyone so much money and should have ruined Tom Hardy's career, but it just came out so brilliant that it's troubled production makes the final thing even greater, and it's like final product is among the best things that have come out this century. I'm like not overstating that to say it's like one of the best movies to come out oh. this century. Oh yeah, without question. It it's just it, it's so enjoyable it's just like i i sometimes just watch the trailer for it when i need to pick me up like i just it the, just the trailer is it's just like it's it's pure cinema i mean he talked about how some of his influences were of silent cinema and i heard that it's one of the few modern action films where if you sped it up four times the speed you could still follow the action because it's so brilliantly edited and he said that he chose his wife to edit the movie because she is not particularly a fan of action films and he, he wanted her to edit it like you know any other movie and just have it really brilliantly structured yeah i mean it's just like i like i it would be, you know it would be like a desert island pick for me like it would be way towards the top of my list like if i were stuck on a desert like i would want to like just watch that over and over because it's just like a great album like like you can't watch it too many times because it's just no. so entertaining it's perfect. It's a perfect. Yeah. And Charlie Theron's great in it. Yeah, it's it's and I love the fact that he got the woman who wrote the vagina monologues like as uh you know to to work with the actresses on uh. set. And I love the fact that yeah, it is basically a 2 hour car chase in the desert, but it comments on uh female issues and the environment. The environment, and, yeah. You know, it, it, like there is Yeah, there is It stuff. felt there very is, like, of the moment it. when it came out, which is really funny to say about a movie that takes place in Australia and the post-apocalyptic future, but it felt very of the moment and like it had a lot to say about 2015 America, which was it. It's just a perfect movie. It's yeah, one of the it's, great it's travesties so, it, I, in the history of the Oscars that it did not win Best Picture or Best Director, which was even more deserving. But you know, yeah, I um yeah. So what what's your number three? My number three is the first part of a double. <laughs> it's Kill Bill Volume 1 Directed by Quentin Tarantino Released in 2003 Infinitely superior to Kill Bill Volume 2 Which I think is among The weaker of the Quentin Tarantino movies Kill Bill Especially the action sequence Jonathan shaking his head about Kill Bill Volume 2 The action sequence between uh, Uma Thurman's character And the Crazy 88's is one of the Best action sequences I've seen in any movie and not aside from that, Kill Bill Volume One all over the place is just bursting with not originality because nothing Quentin Tarantino does is original. Everything is pastiche and a rip off of something else. But the anime sequence to explain Lucy Liu's character's backstory, every time I watch it, I'm totally blown away by it. Uh, Kill Bill Volume One, one of my favorite Tarantino movies, definitely the most fun watch of any Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, it is my number three action movie of all time. I, I consider them one film. I've, I like, I, I, I don't like to say like, Oh, I like one better than two. I think honestly, they feel so different to me though. Well, I mean, didn't he originally intend to release it as one film and then it got so long that didn't he shoot it as one film? Yes. Apparently um, in the script is it's all one really, really long story. 
but there just is such a noticeable difference in the pacing of the two movies. Can you at least agree with that? That's what I'll say. I think the first one is the more just overtly entertaining. I think the second one's the better movie, though. It's one that's way more Tarantino with, like, the Tarantino dialogue scenes. One scene in Kill Bill Volume 2 that I just cannot stand is the one with the, like, Mexican guy who was his dad in a brothel, and he's just doing this thing with his eyes that I just cannot stand whatsoever. And it is just so indulgent Tarantino. It is the worst Tarantino that uh, filled up so much of the Hateful Eight. Kill Bill Volume 2 feels like it's prone to a lot of the same things that happened in the Hateful Eight. Where it's just Tarantino thinking his dialogue is so important and it's so good. I can't cut any of this because it's all the best stuff ever written. And I think he could have made it one movie if he had just cut down some of the awful, really indulgent Quentin Tarantino stuff that he gets in Kill Bill Volume 2. Well, I think that Pulp Fiction is by far the best thing he's ever done by a large margin. And then at number two, the Kill Bill films is one. Like, I, 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 I just consider it one film uh but uh yeah i oh i i love killville i love both of them the first one's amazing i love watching the fight scene where she comes into the house and fights yes. the um who is who is it uh the african-american actress um, vicia a fox yeah right right yeah that seems great <laughs> yeah, I love awesome. the, and then they briefly you know, the pause when their daughter yeah. comes back from school there were just a ton of awesome yeah. awesome scenes in killville volume one yeah I think that one of the reasons Tarantino wanted to make those movies is because he wanted to show that he wasn't just a dialogue director. Like, yeah. you know, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, they were, you know, mostly people talking in a car Especially or in a house. Especially Jackie Brown, you know. which is a really right. long movie where people are mostly just talking. Yeah, but Kill Bill really showed that he is a, you know, one of the best action directors working today. Um, you know, he can really, he can really do it. And there's just the, I love the fact that he doesn't use CGI. This, you know, all that blood spraying, that's all on the set. That's not <laughs> a CGI. A lot of uh, wire so. work with Charlize Theron. Or, no, sorry, Uma Thurman in this Uma movie. Thurman, yeah. I love right. the part in but, the the fight. I can't even remember the name of the freaking club that they're at, where it like goes to black and white, and it's just their silhouettes fighting. And I, I think a reason he might have done that is because of the censors. I don't know if that's like creative or yeah, it was you induced c- by just being outrageously yeah. violent, and they had to have you c- <laughs> a little part yeah. where you couldn't see everything. You can go on YouTube and see the complete uncut. A color oh, really? version there's actually like a few seconds that are added back in uh like what happens like in it more that's too like, much for american audiences to there, be exposed to i can't remember is in the in the theatrical version it there is is there's like a part where she jumps on the shoulders of a guy is that in the theatrical version uh i can't don't remember. think so <laughs> yeah but there's a part where she just jumps up in the air on the guy's shoulders and like cuts his hands off underneath it. You know, it's just ridiculous. But I mean, there's I so mean, much in the like, version that was released that is so outrageously violent. I can't imagine what was in yeah. the original version that was too violent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous that like, what does the NC 17 even mean? Like, like it, you know, yeah. like if you see a movie like killer Joe, which has like so little violence compared to yeah. killville, it's just like, you know, but anyway, I I yeah, I adore the Kill Bill films. My my stance is that the first one is the most enjoyable. The second one's the better film, though. But I think of it as one hard disagree film. for me. 
almost completely different view I on think, it. I see them I as very distinct. Oh, no, no, no. I think you are probably in the majority opinion. But I have a very strong feeling on this that one is far superior to two. And they very much feel like distinct movies. And Tarantino himself might say that I'm incorrect to have that opinion. But he can go uh, fly a kite uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, which leads us to your number two action film of all time. Well, it is a Mad Max sequel. I I think The Road Warrior is uh, the best in the series. I think Mad Max is the best film series in film history. I love wow. all four films. I mean, the third... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Toy Story. I love the Before Sunrise trilogy. I love the Evil Dead movies. But to me, uh, Fury Road and The Road Warrior are two of the top 10 action films and sequels. And if you want to count them, science fiction films. Um, The Road Warrior is not nearly as over the top in Gonzo as Fury Road, where they could have like CGI and a much bigger budget. But The Road Warrior is the best in the series. Um, I adore it. It's just like right about a little over 90 minutes. It's just so incredible because there's zero CGI in that. And, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it, it's harder for younger people maybe to understand like how I could like the road warrior more than fury road. It but, feels uh, very dated. It's, it's coming from someone who enjoys it, but it does feel very much yeah. of the eighties in a way that might turn well, off yeah. contemporary audiences. I'll just point out that two of my top five came out in 81 Raiders and road warrior both came out the wow. same year. But uh, yeah, I just think that, well, I mean the 80, I, I say that the eighties is the worst decade in civilization, like in human history, like the, the black plague is uh, not as bad as the eighties. Um, but I, I adore the road warrior. Uh, I just think that it's, it, it, it's it, it, it. I remember Guillermo del Toro saying that he, when he first saw the film, it ripped his brain apart. Like he just was like, "Oh my god!" Like you can do this with cinema, and uh, yeah, I just think it's a masterpiece. So, uh, Mad Max best. I'm not even qualifying saying it's the best action. I'm saying it's the best film series of all time. Yeah. Uh, the you know I, I'd say the first and uh, the third. I'd give like four out of five stars to. Uh, Road Warrior and Fury Road, we get five out of five. Two of the best sequels of all time. Definitely two of the best action films of all time. Now, the first movie, Mad Max, talk about a movie that feels dated. It is a good movie, but really low budget at the time. And it very much shows coming out now. That is a disturbing movie. It feels less like an action movie than a lot of the other movies in the franchise. Um, It's more like a crime thriller. Yes, it's like yeah, it's like a futuristic crime thriller, and uh, Mel Gibson isn't like in as Robo much of it as you would think. Uh, there's another actor who's like a in a good deal of the movie. I can't remember uh, his character's name. The blonde guy, you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't remember. But it's, like uh, it's funny that Tom Hardy was six months old when the first Mad Max came out. That's Forty years ago, 1979. That's ridiculous. That can bring us to yeah. my number two action movie of all time. My number one was re- revealed previously as Mad Max Fury Road. So this will be my last reveal of the countdown. My number two action movie of all time is The Raid Redemption, released in 2011, directed by Gareth Evans. It is a nonstop action thrill ride. Uh, <laughs> 
Apparently, the redemption name in the title was added strictly for American audiences to give some sort of element of a, or feeling of a plot to the movie. But the movie really does not have much of a plot. It is just police attacking a building of criminals. And a movie that was released the same year has almost like the exact same setup, uh, Judge Dredd, uh, which a lot of people commented on at the time. But the Raid Redemption does it so much better. And it's just one of the most nonstop, incredible action movies uh, to come out recently. <laughs> I must have watched it like 15 times after I saw it the first time. It was a movie I just could not stop watching because it was so unlike any other action movie I'd seen before. And just took like action cinema to such a new height when it came out. that, And <laughs> it seems like the actors in it have appeared in cameo roles in almost every other action series uh, since the movie came out. One of them was in Rogue John One. Wick Chapter 3. Yeah, they were in Rogue One. Uh, they popped up in uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, but the Raid Redemption, if you haven't seen it, uh, don't even go to sleep. See it as soon as you hear me say this, because if you haven't seen it, it is worth seeing. It is unbelievable. It is a life-changing action movie. Uh, the Raid Redemption. Yeah, I love the sequel, too. I mean, it's more, you know, the first one is entirely set in a high-rise apartment building. It's like 100 minutes, and the sequel is like two and a half hours. It's more of like a sprawling crime drama. But, yeah, I I adore the Raid films. And it bothers me that they're going to do an American remake. I mean, it could be awesome, but it's like, why? Why? You can't top them. You can't top them. No, you really can't. There's no point. No. And it's not like um, (laughs) the nationality has any real effect on the plot. It could happen anywhere. The plot is so basic, and they speak so rarely that them being in a foreign language almost doesn't matter, because what they're saying almost doesn't matter. It's literally just the action sequences, which go on forever and take up maybe 80% of the movie, and it's just unbelievable. And much like John Wick, it does like the continuous shots where you get to see every little bit of action choreography. And the people executing it are just so unbelievable that every, like, hit and kill seems so realistic and so, like, uh, visceral on a level that you don't see in a lot of movies. It's it's awesome. Yeah. So do you want me to reveal my number one? I'm shocked that it wasn't, uh, or at least neither of the Raid movies made an appearance in your top five. So I'm very intrigued. Oh, I love them, but... Okay, my number one pick is, I think, uh, one of the ten best comedies of all time, one of the ten best war films of all time, one of the ten best Western films of all time, and I would say the best action film of all time is Buster Keaton's The General. Oh, wow. Now that is a throwback. uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about, like, old school, real you know putting your life on the line stunt work i mean honestly i mean a lot of the action directors and stars jackie chan george miller they say they bow down to people like buster keaton and harold lloyd i mean that was the real deal like breaking their literally breaking their necks for their art no i Um, actually think buster keaton holds up for a modern audience even better than chaplin does just because the physical work is very timeless and chaplin's movies you have to have a certain amount of patience with them, and you also have to you have to be very patient in watching them because not much happens, and a lot of the comedy in it is very broad and of the time. 
while the Buster Keaton movies is just like it, uh, in one of the movies he like literally almost broke his neck. He is like putting his body and life oh, he on did. the line. I mean, yeah, yeah, and it was yeah, and, like something that almost sh- killed him. Yeah, Sherlock Jr. There's a scene where he's on top of a train, and he pulls the uh, the all the liquid water comes out, or the I don't know what it is, but he f- fell down. He didn't realize until a few years later that he broke his neck doing that. He went to the doctor, and they're like, "You know, you have a broken neck, right?" Um, but uh, yeah, the general is set during the Civil War, um, and it's about a train conductor, and it is just. You know, it's really funny, and it's just amazing action set pieces. It was really expensive for the time. And some people might not realize this, but Buster Keaton, a number of his films uh, in like the towards the end of his silent career were not financially successful. The General was not a big success. Harold Lloyd and Harry Langdon were more successful at the box office more frequently. He did a number of movies that did not do that well. And it's shocking to believe this, but critically, The General was considered not a very good film when it came out. That's but, crazy when I you mean, hear stuff like that. You know, like I said, yeah, I mean, it's like, what movie were they watching? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, me, for real. It's like, it's, it's like top 10 silent films, too. It's like so many of top 10s for me, you know. But yeah, it's just there's so many incredible scenes. There's a part where he's trying to move some big beams uh, across the track and he's holding one and the train's almost about to run over another one and he throws the beam he's holding off to the side and it hits the other one off in just the split second. And it's just amazing comic timing. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's just, uh, it still holds up today. It came out in 1926. It's still very funny. It's still incredibly exciting. You sit there going, how did they do this? And they really did it. They, you know, there's, you know, you know, giant actual train being blown up. And yeah. uh, it's, it's incredible. And it is available on YouTube, I believe. Uh, like a lot of silent yeah, movies, it's in the public it. domain. Yeah. It'll probably be a real yeah, shitty so version that right. you could watch on YouTube, so <laughs> it won't be the best way right. to appreciate it. But uh, but uh, do you, you're not going to argue with me saying, "Oh, that's not a good try." I think that's a totally no. valid thing. Oh, to it's say. totally it's, valid. Uh, right after- uh, it is very yeah. much uh, something I could see you picking uh, as being uh, right. as partial to the silent era as you are. I was a l- I leaned a little bit more well, contemporary 21st century than you did. You had three pre-21st century movies. I think I only had one. I'll, yeah, Fury Road's the only one from the century I had. Uh, yeah, the... the oh, yeah, yeah, no, I four. mean, another, another, one, an, another one I was thinking of putting in, but to me, it's, it is an action film, but it's a Western first. Uh, my third favorite film of all time is The Wild Bunch. Yeah. Which Similarly, I, think I was thinking The Dirty Dozen, but I considered that more war. And that got into a, a war and action, different genres. And I was like, eh, I might as well not put it in. <laughs> yeah. Well, the question also is what Some is other an honorable film mentions, versus an uh, action film? Well, that's, I was also thinking about that with Indiana Jones. I think those are less of a hard genre line than war and action. Because adventure is just such a loose... I mean, <laughs> what does adventure mean anyway? <laughs> People... Being in peril? What's like is Robin Hood and Zorro? <laughs> well, it's like is, is Zorro and Tarzan and Robin Hood are those action films or are they adventure? Are they both? 
It I think it, I think every adventure movie is an action movie. Not every action movie is an adventure movie. Maybe that's how I'd put is it. Is King Kong an action film? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also a monster movie. Also science fiction. That's where genre yeah. it becomes very fluid. Um, right. Some other honorable mentions I had: Mission Impossible. Is that an action movie or is it a spy espionage thriller? Is that a different thing? I. I've never seen any of them, and I need to, because I've heard they've gotten better and better, pretty much. Well, the much. first one, uh, sort of, the first one I think is still the best. Brian De Palma, peak Brian De Palma, just doing all the Brian De Palma things you want in a Brian De Palma movie. And I enjoy it even who, more. Who, by the way, has a film coming Who has a film coming out this Friday called Domino, which has not gotten very good reviews, but oh, really? uh, just want to throw that out there. Some yeah. other honorable mentions I had on there, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh which I thought maybe was going to be in your top five. No, I like, I mean, I, I love aliens and the first two Terminator films. I mean, I'm just saying that, you know, James Cameron, uh, I don't, I wouldn't call alien an action film at all. It's a horror science fiction, but the aliens. Yes. Yeah. But aliens is one of the great action. Yeah. Uh, What do you think about the taken movie? You think it's awful? No, it's just like, (laughs) I could list fifty that are better than Taken. I mean, Taken one like, is very, very good. No, it's like <laughs> three and a half out of five, maybe. It's no, uh, no. It's one of those that you don't grade it on a star system. It's just about how much fun you have watching it. <laughs> and you have a lot of fun watching Taken. It's a piece of trash. Yeah, um, Liam Neeson can't be taken seriously in a movie like Taken, but. Especially when it first came out. It was one of the more fun movie experiences you could have. Die right. Hard well, also honorable mention out some, for me. Yeah. I always want to mention some more old uh, silent comedies. Um, Harold Lloyd film uh, Girl Shy has uh, a chase to the um, to the church where like every mode of transportation is in there. He you know rides on a motorcycle and in a car on horse and he there's a part I love a part where he jumps on the back of a fire truck and he grabs the hose and he's pulling it and it's unfolding and he's getting closer and closer to the ground and he's like almost parallel to the ground and he just slides off and it's incredible that like last 25 minutes of that film is just like in a, you know a chase that just goes through every different mode of transportation and if people don't know this Harold Lloyd did like all of his feature films pretty much with one of his hands without a thumb and a few of his fingers because a prop bomb blew off part of his hand early in his career so like when he's climbing the side of the building in safety last he's doing that with like half of one of his hands missing the silent era was crazy. Uh, <laughs> I know. I think that'll wrap up. Any other one? Oh, or, uh, you got anything left to say? Yeah. Oh, wait. Let me. Let me. Yeah. One more. Okay. Uh, one I just saw recently. If it's still playing in a theater near you, see Shadow. It's by the guy who directed Hero and House of Flying Daggers. It's very well done. It's uh, you know, it, it's very violent. It's uh, you know, it's more like cynical and graphic than something like hero, which I'm pretty sure was PG 13 uh, shadows rated R. I mean, there's parts where people have umbrellas that are made of blades and they twirl them around and, swoosh, 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 and they 
you know, swinging blades at people and people are being stabbed with giant swords. And yeah, it's very good. Uh, Shadow, uh, if that's playing near you, that's one of the better action films they've seen uh, in the last 12 months. That's good to hear. That's something worth seeing, yeah. especially in the action genres coming yeah. up. That is not a John Wick movie. But uh, I hope right. you all enjoyed listening to our review of Booksmart and John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum, which I just cannot get enough of saying the full title because I think it's so outrageous. Uh, <laughs> and then the top five action movies. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you all next time. De mi banquero es muy hermosa la estación de mi banquero en la selva aquí no hay en la selva amazónica no hay primavera en la selva amazónica no hay primavera en la selva amazónica no hay primavera en la selva amazónica no